You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Anybody love God in here today? Okay. So God has prepared things for you. God has prepared things for you. He has a plan, he has a purpose for those who love him. Now, this says that I hasn't seen it, and ear hasn't heard it, nor has entered into the heart of man these things which have been prepared. You know, at one time this was true, because this is a quote, Paul is quoting this from the Old Testament, bringing this scripture to light, teaching the Corinthian church about now our experience in the Spirit. And at one time, these things were veiled. These things were hidden, if you will. They were hidden in types and shadows and, and set for a determined purpose or a, an appointed time. So at one time, it was, I hasn't seen, nor ear, and ear hasn't heard, and things have not been put into the heart. But look at this. Look at verse 10. Here's the thing. That was then, but this is now. Okay? But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. See, you know things that others don't know. You are tapped into things. You're connected to things that other people aren't connected to. See, you have a continual, you're connected to a continual conversation, if you will, with the Almighty God. By His Spirit, there is always this ever-present communion with God. The issue is that we got to be aware of it. We have to be awake to it. We have to be active in it because he's always there, revealing, 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 revealing. See, life can be complex. But here's the thing. The Spirit of God is here to take so many of the mysteries of life out of life. See, at one time everything was a mystery, but Paul says the mystery's now been revealed. Right? The, the Spirit searches the deep things of God. He searches, think about it, the deep things of God. In other words, what he's saying is God wants you to know everything about him. He is wide open. All the deep recesses of God, he says, this is a place for you to know. There's things about me for you to know. He is a revealer. And so we need to remember that. Because that, sometimes, you know, religion hides behind these phrases. Says stuff like, well, we don't understand the ways of God. You've got to say God like that if you're religious. God. His ways are past finding out. His will is so mysterious. No, 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 no. That is not our God. Our God is a very personal God. If God became a man, how much does he want to relate to us that he would become a man? And guess what? He's still a man. Did you hear me? I said he's still a man. The scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Wow. Jesus Christ is still a man. Now, he is 100% God, but he's 100% man too. And as long as a man, think about this, is seated next to Almighty God, all mankind has hope because he looks like us and we look like him. I want to talk to you for a few minutes today about being a polished arrow, a polished arrow. Say this with me. I am... God's polished arrow. All right, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 49 now. 
Isaiah chapter 49, you know things others don't know. It's good to know that. Can you hear that? Can you hear that? Y'all hear that? How about that? Oof. I had to turn that off. Aren't you glad that's off? It's not off? You can still hear something? What can you hear? How many? Okay, let me say, let me, how many of you don't hear anything? <laughs> okay, I'm in that same club. Okay. How about now? You still hear something? How about now? No, it's off. How about now? Well, it's there. We're at 16,000 hertz. And we're coming down. We're coming down. Oh, wait. Somewhere around the age of 30, there are certain frequencies that you can't hear anymore. Certain frequencies. Most of the time when I play these frequencies and it gets to a certain point, the young people can still hear it, but people over 30 years old can't hear it. I was sitting in my living room one day and my kids, I don't know, this has been several years ago, my, our son, our, our baby, who just graduated high school, is not a baby anymore, um, was sitting between our two daughters, and, and I'm, I'm sitting in my chair watching TV, and I hear this <laughs> laughing and giggling and stuff, and I look over there, and they're all around a phone, and my son keeps looking up at me, and they're looking down, and, look, and I'm like, I said, what are y'all laughing about? And my son says, Dad, can you hear that? And I said, Hear what? I said, I hear the TV. He said, mute the TV, Dad. So I mute the TV. And he, and he says, can you hear that? And I said, what am I supposed to hear? And then he just said, you're old. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? They said, you can't hear that. And the, his sisters are going, turn it off, Dylan. Turn it off. It's hurting my ears. I'm like, what are you hearing? <laughs> and then I found out that these kids have a whole communication system in a classroom so they want to talk to each other and so they use this certain frequency in their text messages that the teacher can't hear and they can talk to each other without anybody knowing it none of the adults knowing it you know things you're connected to a frequency called the spirit of god that you know things others don't know you're tapped into things others aren't tapped into you you can see things and understand things people and hear things See, you have an advantage in this world as a child of the living God. And that same spirit who raised him from the dead, the scripture says, lives, abides, dwells in you. And he is here, Jesus said, and when he comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to teach you by his anointing. He's going to teach you all things. And he's going to show you things to come. See, your Christian walk doesn't have to be a walk of guessing. It's one that God has come to live on the inside of you so you can live a life of assurances. To know where you're going because you're led by the Spirit of Almighty God. And there's a process, though, in this 
being led by the Spirit. And that's why in Isaiah chapter 49, it says, He has made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He has hidden me. And this is the part I want to focus on. And made me a polished shaft, and in his quiver he has hidden me. The shaft is, is uh, the, the Hebrew word for arrow, okay? He has made me a polished arrow in his quiver he has hidden me. Now I want you to notice from that text that it says in the shadow of his hand he's hidden me. Notice that that's capitalized and made me capitalized, hidden me. So we understand, um, um, I mean Old Testament scholars would apply this in a way that showing us this is a messianic chapter. This is all pointing to, to Jesus. It's one of those, and Isaiah did that very often as did David especially those two. But Isaiah here, so we see it applicable to Jesus, but you can also see the prophet Isaiah as if he were speaking on Christ's behalf, as if it was Christ himself. He has made me a polished arrow. We also understand that this is also God's plan for the nation of Israel, to be an example for all other nations. But then the prophet himself saying it is where we can find application for our own lives. That we are all determined by God to be a polished arrow in his hand, and the scripture says he hid me in his quiver. So, when life isn't playing fair and things aren't working like they're supposed to work, the winds of adversity are howling in, in your ears, you'll be tempted. You'll be tempted to fear. You'll be tempted to give up. You'll be tempted to... Let your trouble overwhelm you or to quit. But you have a promise from Almighty God. And let me tell you that promise. He who began the work in you will be faithful to complete it. See, God doesn't quit. He doesn't quit on you. Never has, never will. Whatever he starts, he finishes. Okay? So the fact that you're here means that God started something. Huh? Amen. And he's going to finish it. So you're not in darkness. You are light. You're not on the outside looking in, my family. Amen. God is on your side. Turn to somebody and tell them God is on your side. When I was a kid, I don't know if maybe some of you can relate to this. We used to play outside, actually, back in those days. And <laughs> my, my brother and I have spent much of our childhood years in the woods of southern Oklahoma. Uh, my, we lived on this, my grandparents' farm. Uh, my grandfather had a few hundred acres, and so we had built a house there on the front part of it. But my grandparents lived up this hill behind our house, and we'd go up there, and we loved going to Grandpa and Grandma's house because there was like little to no rules, right? And all kinds of food to eat, all kinds, especially sweet stuff. But right behind their house, their house was backed up to a bunch of woods, and so we would just play in those woods all day long. Had great times. And I can remember as a kid, we would, you know, boys automatically think of, weaponry to construct and one of the things we'd try to do is build a bow and arrow y'all know what I'm talking about but here you try to construct your own bow and arrow so we'd try to find the straightest stick that we possibly could notch out the ends you know maybe take a shoelace off and and make a, a a string with the bow and then and then look for some kind of stick out there that's really straight that we could use for an arrow and maybe whittle off one end of it to make it sharp and and put a little notch in the end of it and pull back on that shoestring you know and do our best to to make something happen. Most of the time it didn't do very well, you know, uh, which I was happy about because most of the time we were shooting them at each other. <laughs> but one of the things 
the reasons why those arrows didn't do very well is because they're missing one key element that an arrow must have, and it's called the fletch, the feathers on the end of that arrow. Arrow's made up of three parts. It's got the point, it's got the shaft, and then it has the fletch or the feathers. The American Indians are, were particularly fond of turkey feathers to use them because they believed they flew the straightest and would go the farthest. They could shoot most accurately with a turkey feather. Um, if you looked up American Indian arrows, you would see that many of them, the shaft itself was kind of a dark color. A lot of times it was black. It's because they had put that stick through a process, put it in a fire, and, and so that they could, they could get rid of all the moisture, and then the stick would grow hard, and they could make it straight as possible. Now, up in like northern um, Philippines, like Luzon area, they use bamboo, and they don't usually have to put bamboo through that process because bamboo just naturally likes to grow straight. But they all have that, those three parts. And, you know, you and I are very much like that. We, we're made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. You know, the arrow has nothing to do about its makeup, it, about being led by the fletch, that the fletch is actually the part that guides the arrow. And you have a choice, though, as a human to make. You have a choice. The arrow doesn't have a choice, but you do. You can either be led by the spirit. He would be the fletch in your life. You can be led by the spirit, or you could be... Led by your own personality, your own thinking and reasoning, your own feelings. People are so guided by their feelings today. I feel this. I feel this. I feel. Right? That's not helping society whatsoever. All right? We need to be people who are led by the Spirit and who walk by faith. Amen. And push past the emotional uh, breakdowns. He made me a polished arrow and hid me in his quiver. There's much for us to see from this for the next few minutes. And he has to be, you know, I, I've had the privilege of flying several places, um, both domestically and internationally. And if I were to get on an airplane and look up there and see that up in that cockpit in the pilot's chair, there's an eight-year-old boy sitting. I'm not going to be comforted by that. I want to know that whoever is most capable of flying that plane is the one that's in the seat, right? The Spirit of God is the one most capable of guiding your life. He's the one most capable of managing. Now, we could say we, you need to let the Spirit of God lead you because He's Almighty God or because, you know, He's, he's Lord of all. Well, yeah, those, those are all true. How about the fact that He's just better at it than we are, Right? He's just better. He knows us. He knows our makeup. He knows what's right for you. He knows what's good for you. He knows what's going to take you into the goodness of God because that's what he's here to do. For you to experience all that God has for you. He's the most capable. And a lot of people just don't really have any guidance at all. They don't have, they're not allowing the Spirit of God to be the fletch. They're guided by all kinds of things. But not realizing that if the one that, the right one is not at the controls, then trouble's happening. Many, many years ago, this is third world country, and I won't name the country because I don't want to demean any country. I'm just happy to live in the United States. But there was a, a, a flight that had taken off, and they had maybe 70 passengers on this airplane. And, uh, and it was a beautiful day. Sun was shining. Plane takes off, and they get up in the air, get to the right elevation. And the pilot decides he wants to go back and you know, mingle with some of the, the passengers and talk with them. And, and so 
he told the co-pilot he was going to go do that. And so he, he left the controls and went out and started fraternizing with the, with the passengers. Everything was going well. Well, while he's gone, the co-pilot decides he needs a, bath, a, a bathroom break. And so it's not that big of a deal, you know, because he just put it on automatic pilot, in which he did, and he'd be back in five minutes, you know. So he goes out of the cabin and goes to the restroom, and everything's going well. You know, if, if somebody's on the ground, they're, they're looking up at this airplane. They, they, don't, they don't see any foreseeable issues. It's in, in the right trajectory, you know. It's at the right altitude, maintaining altitude and all that kind of stuff. Sunshine, the pilot's talking to the people and co-pilot's in the restroom. And as he leaves the restroom, he goes to get into, back into the cockpit only to find something is wrong. Unbeknownst to the pilot and the co-pilot both, the day before, the ground crew had installed a self-locking mechanism on that door, which neither one of them knew about, nor neither one of them had the key to open the door to the cockpit. So imagine this. Pilot's just hanging out with the people. Co-pilot's doing his thing. Everything's fine, but you and I know that not everything is fine because there's nobody at the controls. There are many who floating through life, going through life, not aware that the right one is not at the controls and there is trouble waiting down the road for them. Well, maybe you're wondering what happened to that airplane. Well, fortunately, like I said, because it was a third world country, there was a man who was on that plane who had smuggled a small hatchet onto his carry-on. <laughs> fortunately for them. And when he saw the pilot and the co-pilot desperately trying to get in this cockpit, he deduced that there was a problem, and he offered the assistance of his hatchet, which they actually took that hatchet and literally hacked their way through that door to get to the controls, and they were able to land the plane safely. You know, there are times when trouble comes, you might not even have time to even think about something like that. This is why you need the Spirit of God to help you, to guide you into all, all truth, to help you see things that you can't see in the natural, to know things that you don't know. Oh, he's faithful to do it because he loves you. So when it comes to you being one of God's polished arrows, first and foremost is his is the plan. Let's all say that together. His is the plan. His is the plan. The arrow doesn't make itself, neither the planning of its trajectory and its target. Those things are up to the archer. God's plans are sometimes strange. They're very strange at times. And he sometimes sends us to places that would not be our first choice. You know, you can find that throughout much of the Bible. If you read Acts chapter 16, in the beginning, it's a bit of a frustrating chapter because Paul the Apostle picks up this young guy by the name of Timothy. He meets Timothy and immediately has him circumcised. And then decides, let's go on a mission trip. I don't know if he gave Timothy enough time to heal up, but, you know, the last thing you want to do, I imagine, is get on the back of a horse and just go for a ride. But they did, and as they're traveling throughout Asia, because Paul had been there before, and he was determined to go to these other cities that had been to before and to check on the churches and, you know, preach them and encourage them. And he keeps showing up to city after city, and the Scripture says, and the Spirit forbid, forbid him to stay. And the Spirit wouldn't allow. So he gets there. Can you imagine? Timothy's like, oh, finally we're here. And he says, what's that, Lord? No, keep going. Timothy's like, oh, my gosh, you got to be kidding me. Who is this guy? What am I doing here? 
I meet this guy, and this is the first thing he does is, if you want to be in the club, this is what you got to do. And now they go to another place, no, no, and finally end up in this coastal city called Troas, or what we would know as Troy. Y'all ever see the movie, Troy? It's a good movie. Hector! Anyway, you have to see the movie. Anyway, so they get to Troy, and and the scripture says later on, it said, a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man from Macedonia, which was west of there, saying, come over and help us. And Luke writes this account of Acts, and he says, and when he saw the vision, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go, concluding that the Lord had called us. And so they went over to Macedonia. They get over there to this innermost city called Philippi. They get there. There's very few Jews in the area, so they don't even have a synagogue, but there's a prayer group down by the river. So they get down by the river, and they meet these people, and they meet this lady named Lydia, and she's a seller of purple, which means she sells designer clothes. And uh, so she decides to begin to care for Paul and his company. Then the next thing we know, uh, there's this girl who they cast this devil out of. And then Paul and Silas, Silas is also one of the group, and he and Paul end up getting beat and they're thrown into prison. Now imagine that God has this vision from God, go to Macedonia, he gets there and he ends up in prison. Not just in prison, but beat up. And I'm sure that Paul had a few questions. Lord, did you really call me here? Is this really your plan? That the, his plans, like I said, are sometimes strange. The very, very first time that the prophet Elijah, who we all know, is mentioned in the Bible is when he gets up and preaches a, an extremely short sermon. And you can find that in 1 Kings chapter 17. It's really interesting. And he's told by God to go to the king of Israel named Ahab. And it says that Elijah, uh, he, he says to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these days except at my word. In other words, the sermon was, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Thank you. Let's stand and be dismissed. That's the end of the sermon. And then the very next thing that God does is tells him, now I want you to go hide, Elijah. Hide? I just got my ministry started, God. I mean, how can I be a famous prophet if I go preach a tweet of a sermon and then just leave? And then you'd want me to go hide somewhere? Yeah, because God has a plan. Sometimes that plan is hard to see and hard to understand and take you to strange places. But you know who Elijah is today. You know about all the great things that God has done. If you don't, read about it. But one of the secrets of Elijah's progress and his success in ministry was that whatever God told him to do, he did it. Whatever God told him to say, he said it. Huh? That's something we can learn from today. He just let the Spirit of the Lord guide him. I had a student at Christ for the Nations who was from Brazil, and he was telling me this story about an evangelist friend that he had several years ago that was um, beginning to come up in his ministry. And and he said one time the Lord told him to go to this certain city in Brazil and hold a three-night crusade, a three-night crusade. So, I mean, he really felt like the Lord had confirmed it to him, felt like he needed to go, so... He planned it and, and, and called ahead to some churches um, to tell them that he wanted to do a crusade. He would like their help, you know, to get boots on the ground with the churches, get them gathered together. And we need prayer groups and all kinds of things and them to announce it. And, and these, these dates I'm coming. And so the churches did. I mean, they, they were excited about that. Well, the date came. The man flew to the city. He gets there and they're at a hotel conference center. And they're in this hotel room and, and uh, as the meeting 
time is coming up, uh, people start flooding in. And I mean before long, every seat in the place is full. I mean, this evangelist is so excited. And uh, they have the music and everything. He's got all these churches that are there sponsoring and helping and encouraging it. And, and lots of people that are helping, great team of people. And then he gets up there to preach and he preaches this sermon and preaches, uh, invites people to come to know the Lord Jesus, to come to salvation. 150 people respond that night. They get saved. I mean, this guy's like, yes, thank you, Lord. Wow, this is awesome. The next night, night two, he gets there, and, and the time's getting close to the meeting, and he looks out, and he sees, like, not very many people. As a matter of fact, the room's about half as full as it was the night before. And the meeting starts, and the evangelist is thinking, wow, what, what's going on? We got half of what we had last night? Hmm, he's troubled that, but you know, he's still kind of excited. He's still fired up about what happened the night before. So he's like, okay, Lord, well, you called me here. We'll get, we'll do this. And so then he preaches and, and, and has a call for people to come to Christ and two people come to Christ that night. So after the meeting's over, he's scratching his head like, all right, Lord, I feel like that we're trending in the wrong direction. You know, usually with a conference, usually with meetings, they kind of build every night, you know, because people are getting the word out and more people are coming. But Lord, what's the deal? We have half the people and two compared to 150 salvations. I mean, I know you rejoice over everyone coming to Christ, but 150 and then two, Lord, I feel like, come on. And, and he really got discouraged and had to really fight it. And he even thought about not even doing the third meeting. But he just had this gnawing. He just knew that the Lord had told him three nights. So, he, okay, I'm here. Let's just do it. Night three rolls around, and there's half of that half again. And most of them are people that are there from other churches to help. And he's here to preach the gospel and see people come to Jesus, get saved, and he's looking at a room full of Christians. But regardless, now he's just fighting his own self, you know, fighting his own thoughts. But he preaches through it. Well, about halfway through his message, the back door opens to this conference room, and a man comes in, stumbling drunk. And he got everybody's attention. And the evangelist looks up and sees him, and he says, Sir! You want me to pray for you to receive Christ? And the guy's like, sure. He said, well, come up here. So the man stumbled his way up there. And the evangelist told him the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? Yeah, I believe that. And I prayed. So he prayed with him and just gave him the, what they call the sinner's prayer to invite Jesus in his heart. And he finished the prayer, and the man said, all right. And he stumbled his way out the back door. Now the evangelist feels like God is almost laughing at him. Because his next thought, as he watched this guy goes out, go, go stumble out of the room, he's thinking, when this guy wakes up in the morning, he's not going to have one memory of this. This is a total waste of time. And he leaves the room, he leaves the meeting after it was all over, thanked everybody for coming, was just so discouraged. He gets on a plane, heads home, and just tries to forget, especially those last two nights. 
Well, time goes on. Actually, about three years goes by. And this guy has become a little more prominent in Brazil. His name's getting out as, as he's leading many people to the Lord, doing these crusades. And so there's this huge pastor's conference that he gets invited to, to come and speak into these pastor's lives and to, and, and to encourage them that their churches need to be evangelistic. You know, they always be thinking souls, bringing people into the kingdom of God. And so he was going to teach them some practical workshops, teach these pastors how to do evangelistic preaching and how to get their people excited about sharing the good news of the gospel in their world. And as he's there, he does this first session, and after it's over, this man comes up to him, and um, he says, uh, he says, hey, I, I'm so glad that you're here. I was so glad. When I saw your name, I was so glad that, that you uh, were here, because I've got something to share with you. And the evangelist says, okay. He says, three years ago, you came to a city I was in. And he said, you came to a hotel, and you were in a conference room. He said, I was in a bar just outside of that conference room, and I was drowning my sorrows in drink. And he said, I'd way overdone it, and he said, my determination was to just get to my room and sleep this thing off, and then maybe tomorrow will be another day. And he says, and as I'm making my way to my room down this vast hallway, I hear this loud voice speaking through this door. And he said, and curiosity got the best of me. And I opened the door and he said, and I stumbled into your meeting. And the evangelist is like, you're that guy? And he says, yeah, I'm that guy. And he says, let me say something to you, sir. He said, first of all, you didn't judge me. You didn't rebuke me for my inebriated state there in front of everybody. He says, you asked me if I would come and pray with you. And he said, that spoke to me. And he said, and I prayed that prayer with you, and I stumbled out. He said, but what you need to understand is, as I'm making my way to my room, something started happening to me. He said, I get to my room, and he said, by the time I get to my door, I am completely and utterly sober. He said, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. He said, I, I even like was doing the sobriety test on myself. Like, is this real? Am I? He said, I was overwhelmed. I, he said, I thought, something happened. Something happened when I, when I prayed. I don't know what it was. He said, but man, I'm telling you, he said, the, no, the only thing I knew to do, it was, he said, I didn't even live in that city. He said, when I get to my city was to find somebody, find a preacher, Find a church, something. That's all I knew to do. And so I finally did. And he said, and I got involved in this church. And he said, man, the, God started working in my life so tremendously. He said, I just wanted you to know, and I'm so happy to be able to share this with you today, that I right now am pastoring a church. He said, not only that, but over the last three years, we have planted 60 other churches. I just wanted you to know that that was a fruitful, fruitful night. The evangelist is just, he, he can't believe it. He can't believe it. What he thought was a failure, what they, he thought was a flop. Oh, no, no, no. There was a plan. His is the plan. Say his is the plan. His is the plan. Amen. You need to remind yourself that his is the plan because, you know, you find yourself in some very strange circumstances at times. You may wake up somewhere and wonder, what am I doing here? You might have done that today. But either way, <laughs> his is the plan. And if that's true, if it is his plan, then it is his also responsibility. He's the one who determines what it will take to make you a polished arrow in his hand. Let's all say this together. His is the process. Oh, we love process, don't we? 
the process. The process sometimes involves a certain amount of pain, stress, or uncertainty. But God knows what, what it's going to take. If you're of the impatient sort, he's going to work on your patience, isn't he, Jeremiah? Hmm? I heard a great quote. It said that God is never late, but he sure does pass up a lot of good opportunities to be early. <laughs> Amen. That process is going to take time. It's not always easy to understand. But you just have to know, I am an arrow in his hand. Hmm? I'm an arrow in his hand. I don't know if I've told you. Have I told you the story of Tony Campolo? Charlie Stolfus. Have I told that story here? Tony Camp, you might know who Tony Campolo is here. All right, he's a, a renowned speaker and author. And um, Tony Campolo is one of those guys. He, his background is Catholic, but um, the Lord has blessed him in such a way that he can cross a lot of denominational borders and, and speak to lots of churches. And he, he, he actually later on got filled with the Spirit and, and became more of a charismatic Catholic, I guess, or whatever you would call that. Anyway, um, he... He, he got invited to this church to speak, and it was a Pentecostal church. You know, they speak in tongues. They believe in signs and wonders and miracles, and they believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still prevalent today. You know, one of those weird churches, you know. Anyway, <laughs> he says they, they invite him to come back to this room before he goes out to speak. The pastor has him come back and has the elders back there, and they want to pray over him. You know, they'll pray over him before he speaks. And, and he says, he, he said, if you know anything about like a Pentecostal or charismatic church, he says, they don't pray quiet prayers, and they don't pray short prayers. He said, so they all got their hands on me. He said, boy, they're praying. I mean, they're praying. Some of them are praying in tongues. Some of them are praying other ways. And he said, I'm just, you know, taking it all in. He said, the thing is about when prayer goes too long, a couple minutes into it, all of a sudden, everybody's leaning on you. So you're bearing the weight of their gravitational pull. And he said, and to boot, there's a man that's in the group who's leading the prayer who are, who's praying things that are not relevant to the evening service. And he said he prayed words like this, oh, Lord. God, remember my friend Charlie Stolfus. God, Charlie's not saved. God, you know. You know where Charlie lives. You know it's not right that he's left his wife and three kids. God, you know it's not right. You know where he lives just off exit 29. You turn right there and he's the third silver trailer on the right. Oh God, it's not right that Charlie Stolfus has run off and left his wife and three kids. Oh God, you need to save him. And, and Tony's like, what is this nutball doing? Why is he praying this prayer? And he prays it. And he prays it again. And he prays it again. And prays it again. And finally the prayer is over. And he was so glad that this prayer is over. Goes out there and he speaks, all right, great service, greets a lot of people on his way out, gets in his car, and is happy to be on the road heading home. And as he's on the road, Tony Campolo is also an evangelist, and at this time, in, uh, there, when hitchhiking was kind of popular, sure enough, he sees a hitchhiker on the side of the road, and naturally, he pulls over and lets the guy in his car. And he says, hello, I'm Tony Campolo, and the man says, hello, I'm Charlie Stolfus. Tony's like, okay. So he's driving along, and he starts trying to remember what all that guy said in the prayer. And he says, Charlie, it ain't right that you're leaving your wife and three kids. He sees this head turn toward him. And like, He says, Charlie, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to go back to your wife and three kids. And he's looking at the exit signs. 27, 
28. And he goes to 29 and he hits the blinker and takes the exit. Now this guy is like full on just like staring at him. Turns right. And he says, one, two, third silver trailer. And he pulls right up in the yard. And this guy at this point is deer in the headlights. He can't believe what he's seeing. He says, how do you know this? Charlie says, I mean, uh, Tony says, God told me. <laughs> he says, get out, of, get out of this car, Charlie. So Charlie gets out, and he marches him right up there to the front door, and he knocks on the, <clears throat> on the front door, and the door opens up, and Charlie's little wife been there crying after knowing that her husband left her, and there she was all distraught, and she says, Charlie. And he says, get up in there, Charlie. And Charlie gets up in the house, and Tony follows him in. He says, both of you are going to sit down. You're going to listen to me. And they both sit down on that couch. And Tony Campolo shared, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And that night, Charlie and his wife gave their hearts to Jesus. And Charlie stayed home. <laughs> Praise God. Many times in this process, many times in this process, you won't understand it until after the fact. Right, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? This makes no sense at all, but he knows. God knows. He knows where you are right now. I, I, did you hear me? I said he knows where you are right now. Sometimes we're thinking about the, the beginning and the end product. We feel like sometimes that God is impatient, that he's waiting for us to hurry up and catch up because I have this perfect place for you to be, but here you are right here in your knucklehead, stubborn state. If you just get up, no, no, God is with you in the beginning. He's with you in the end. My family, that means he's with you right now in the process. He's not run off and left you. He's with you right now. He's a very present help in time of need, the scripture says. He said, I will never, ever leave you, and I will not forsake you. His is the process. An arrow has no fuel. It's not self-propelled. It, it derives all of its energy entirely from the arm of the archer. If you were to observe an archer take aim at an apple sitting on somebody's head, and watch him shoot the apple and not the person. Your first thought would not be, wow, what an impressive arrow. <laughs> huh? No. Wow, what an archer. What a skilled archer. See, his is the power. His is the power. Come on, say that with me. His is the power. His power is resident inside of you. His power. Woo, thank you, Lord. You know what that means? If his is the power, then his is the glory. Why don't we just say glory to God? Glory to God. All right. Can, can, I finish? can you give me like five more minutes? Okay. And lastly, his is the product, the end, the fulfilled purpose. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote, I shot an arrow into the air. It fell to earth I knew not where. For so swiftly it flew the sight could not follow it in its flight. I breathed a song into the air. It fell to earth I knew not where. For who has sight so keen and strong that it can follow the flight of a song? Long, long afterward in an oak, I found the arrow still unbroke. And the song from beginning to end I found again in the heart of a friend. You don't see the end from the beginning. You don't always know where that arrow is going to land. Sometimes you wait a long time to discover what was accomplished. Sometimes it is hard to be patient. 
he made me a polished arrow. Doesn't that sound like you're the finished product at that point? He made me a polished arrow, right? But the very next thing, look what happens. The very next thing is he hid me in his quiver. Lord, I'm ready. I've, I've had the experiences. I've been trained up. I, I, I don't want to be rattling around back there in the dark. And so you pray and you wait, and then you see the hand come back, and guess what? He picks somebody else. When is it my turn? He knows because his is the product. Jay Tucker was a missionary on his third term in Africa, a place called Zaire. Today it's modern-day Congo, all right? Jay Tucker, he's on his third mission there, and a few weeks later he was dead. There had been some civil uh, wars breaking out there. A revolution had started, and uh, an angry African mob came to Jay Tucker's home, drug him out of his house, took him to an open square in the center of town, tied his hands behind his back, tied his feet together, and smashed a bottle across his face. And when Jay Tucker hit the ground, they danced on his body until he had no more breath in him. And upon that, they picked his dead, limp body up, threw it in the back of a pickup, drove him up to a bridge, and tossed him over into the Congo River where crocodiles had him for lunch. And that was the end, or so they thought. That river flows through a tribe known as the Mangbetu tribe. The Mangbetu tribe for years and years and years and years, decades, was a fortress against the gospel. There, are, there were many missionaries who would try to come and penetrate that area with the gospel, but to no avail. And... Such was their reputation. Because of this revolution, the Zairean government has sent this man to go and keep the peace. One man. You know, kind of like in Texas, it'd be like sending a Texas ranger somewhere. You know, wherever there's a war, send in one ranger. He'll take care of business. And this guy, they, they call him the brigadier, just a stalwart of a man. He's huge, big man, well-respected. They send him over there to keep the peace with this Mongbetu tribe, among the Mongbetu tribe. And while he's there, see, they didn't... What was interesting was is that this man had only been saved. He'd gotten saved three months prior by the witness of none other than that missionary, Jay Tucker. And so this brigadier's there, and he's, he loves Jesus. He doesn't know much. He's not been to Bible school or anything. He just knows he's saved. And Jesus died for his sins. And he rose again. And so his heart went out to the people. And he thought, I want to reach them. But he didn't know how to reach them. So he just started studying the people. Studying their culture. Reading their literature. And, and as he's well into all this studying, he comes across a phrase that was written some years prior. And it said something to the effect of, we will always hear the words of one whose blood has been spilled in our river. We will always hear the words of one whose blood has been spilled in our river. And he said, that's it. So he called for a meeting with the chief and the, and the elders of, their, of that tribe. And they, they called him together and he said, I was reading your stuff. I was reading your literature, reading your history and all of your... Your, your tales and, and, and legends. And he said, I came across something. He said, I wanted to see if this is true. This is what y'all believe. It says that we will always hear the words of one whose blood has been spilled in our river. And they said, yes, oh yes. He said, I know a man 
whose blood was spilled in your river. Now, he can't talk to you, but he told me those words before he died. His blood was spilled in the river, but he can't be here because the crocodiles ate him. But I know his word. And they sat and listened. They said, well, what are those words? And it was something like, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And you know what happened? They believed him. They believed the gospel. Something incredible happened with the Hmong Betu tribe. I did some study on them because when I'd heard this story several years ago, I was blown away by it. But the last report I saw in 2014, now this is five years old, but still, they have calculated now that there are almost 600,000 believers among the Hmong Betu tribe where none had been before. Now, many who knew Jay Tucker at the time of his martyrdom, they looked at his death. And they said stuff like, what a waste. I don't think that's what God said. I think God probably said something like, bullseye. Hmm? Not saying God caused the tragedy. I'm saying God can use anything and turn it around for good. He can turn tragedy into triumph. And today, that legend is still, that, that legacy is still living on. When the arrow is yielded, yielded, God can accomplish great things. He made me a polished arrow, and in his quiver, he has hidden me. His is the plan. His is the process. His is the power, and his is the final product. You just trust him and be led by the Spirit. Let him be the one who determines your destiny. Amen. Father, thank you for this time together today. Thank you for this precious church. Thank you for Press Church. Thank you, Lord, that you're leading this church in triumph. This is a church that is marching in victory, marching in power and might. This is a church where the love of God is known so immensely, where the true unconditional love of God is demonstrated. This is a church that welcomes the things of the Spirit, embraces the gifts of the Spirit, and says, Lord, whatever you want to do, do it here. Lord, wherever you're going to move, move here. We are a people who say, yes, we're yielded to you. We're yielded to you. Guide us by your spirit. Let us be that light in this city. Let us be the church that Williston cannot live without. Thank you, Father God, that you increase this church. Increase. Increase increase, multiplication. You are building the church. And I thank you that your blessing is on this house. Your blessing is upon these leaders, this pastor and his wife and these leaders and this people, Lord. Thank you for favor, great favor that surrounds them as with a shield. And I, de I declare over press church, Today, they have favor with God and with man. Yeah, thank you, Lord. My goodness, thank you, Lord. I see entrepreneurial uh, uh, help, entrepreneurial help that God is giving people here, witty inventions, ideas, business are coming, are coming out of this house flowing, and, and bringing life into this community. The economic structure of this community is going to change because of what happens in this church. Jobs are coming here. Prosperity in a greater way. Wow. Thank you, Lord.
And, and this is a haven of miracles. I, I see a, a, like, a, like, like, like a, the, the pool of Bethesda, like a continual stirring, stirring here. And if people will just get here, they'll get healed. If they'll get here, they'll experience the miraculous power of God. Amen. This is that place of stirring. And it, and, and it, it, it does not have a temporary stirring to it. This is a continual stirring. Whew, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you for going along with me today. I really enjoyed being with you. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit.